This is a relay project. Seriously starts now. Here's Sapria and Ryan. Hey, it's Wednesday, December 14th, and you're listening to Seriously with Sapria and Ryan. I am Sapria Devetti in Toronto. And uh, I'm Ryan Jesperson in the beautiful city of Edmonton, Alberta. As a matter of fact, Alberta's capital city, boasting a river valley 20 times the size of New York's Central Park and some of Canada's most exciting and impressive new restaurants. Not to mention the startups that have come out of here, Sapria, the legacy businesses, and the most beautiful arena in the National Hockey League, featuring, of course, the world's biggest hockey talent, Connor McDavid, who proudly signed an eight-year contract extension to continue to live in Edmonton. How are you? Sure, but like, do y'all have a fucking cactus club? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we got a cactus club in the West End. We got a cactus club downtown. We got a whole bunch of Alberta-born chain, but don't quite look like chain restaurants that hockey players, and Mm -hmm. executive new Albertans from Ontario tend to enjoy for working lunches. So the reason why we're talking about this um, for anybody who I guess was off the internet for the last 24 hours is because Toronto Life did what Toronto Life tends to do, and they put out a just masterpiece in in a hate read about this woman who moved to Edmonton. I'm sorry, not even Edmonton. Not 30 even minutes close, no, south. 30 minutes of south Edmonton. of Edmonton. Yeah. Which, by the way, and 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 this is just going to be constant interruption, you and me. Because this is like two friends over coffees <laughs> or beers being like, did you fucking see? What the <laughs> yeah. fuck? And so this is so I'm gonna be all over. Uh but I this is this was this was like uh people will say 30 minutes outside of Toronto, and first of all, what Toronto? Like the, the edge. First of all, the, she's the from Mississauga, she's, so, she's, she's not even from Toronto. She's not even from Toronto. From Toronto. But 30 minutes outside of Toronto or 30 minutes outside of Vancouver is way different than 30 minutes outside of Edmonton 30 minutes outside of Edmonton is almost halfway to Red Deer you're almost you're, you're like almost a, a 20% of the way to Calgary 30 minutes outside of Edmonton is past the airport it's past Leduc yeah. <laughs> 30 minutes outside of Edmonton like to put it into perspective here she wasn't anywhere close to Edmonton and arguably she's not really anywhere close to Toronto either. And yet somehow both cities get fucking pulled right into this shit. Oh, Toronto uh, doesn't care at all. What does no, Toronto care don't. about this? Toronto probably only <laughs> Toronto's got Toronto is like the here's the deal. Calgary is the Canadian city that has a bit of a chip on its shoulder because it wants when Canadians talk about Canada. Calgary, and I'm a born and raised Calgary kid, okay? Now living in Edmonton. Lived in Calgary for almost 25 years. Calgarians want everyone to say, across this great country in Vancouver and Calgary and Montreal and Toronto. (laughs) But nobody ever says Calgary. adorable. Good for Calgarians. So Calgary's got a bit of a chip. And then there's Winnipeg and Edmonton. And you can make fun of Winnipeg and Edmonton. And for the most part, though I'm kind of proving that wrong right here, for the most part, people in Edmonton and Winnipeg will go, we don't care. Fuck you. We love it here. They don't care at all, right? And, and Saskatoon has a bit of that as well. And you can tell me about 
Eastern communities that do. But I, I get the impression that Toronto, most people in Toronto don't even know that this story is a thing right now. Most people in Toronto don't know well, anything about Alberta politics. Is that fair to say? Okay, I don't think they know a ton about Alberta politics. I only think they, they know care. about this story because this was lighting up the entirety of the internet yesterday. Um, and they talked about it on uh, at least a couple of the morning shows here in Toronto this morning. Oh, so, so we did I think finally get your attention. <laughs> Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. But, you know, to just your earlier question about Eastern cities, I mean, I will just say that there is one best city in this great country, and that is Montreal. And there is no, there's just no, like, everything else is a second, um, in my opinion. Oh, you got a round of applause from our live studio audience in the background. (laughs) Hey, is is this, so so would you say, like, from a a standpoint of being secure in itself, uh, Toronto... Montreal's not secure. We have a huge chip on our shoulder. Toronto's very secure because it's just, like, the center of the universe. They don't have to worry about anything. 100%. Everything's here. But you've got, I mean, if you look at, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, my friend. Uh, Quebec City, Montreal, the the history, the culture, everything else. Um, if, if, If you if you don't quite get it, uh, it's on an island from a cultural standpoint, uh, yeah. miles ahead of everywhere else in Canada. With apologies to the Maritimes, with apologies to a lot of the other uh, cities I know that would love to believe that that they're in that that upper class. I think Montreal has something special about it. It does, which brings me to Mississauga because <laughs> it does not. <laughs> um, Mississauga is, for all intents and purposes, a generic sort of suburb. And that's not a knock on a generic suburb. You know, it's a great place to raise kids. It's a great place to go to a chain restaurant. Um, but, you know, it is different than Toronto. And so this entire piece is about this woman having picked up and moved to 30 minutes south of Edmonton from 30 minutes west of Toronto, um, saying that she'd do well in sex in the city. Um, but like hated it, I guess, because there weren't enough cactus clubs and ended up moving back to Mississauga. Yeah. And, and I mean, some of the observations that she made about why she didn't love it are, are, do we, do we even need to fact check this? I mean, does anybody actually care about the fact checking? It's just ludicrous. I I mean, the implication that people in Edmonton don't understand what a lounge is like, (laughs) I I, I don't know. I I guess here, here's the thing is like, I just kind of, I, I, I look at these people. There's this great, there are some great, slogans every city has their marketing slogans and you know what i mean and, and a couple of the ones that i've loved make it edmonton uh which is a really great thing and they've celebrated some of the success of huge businesses that have started in edmonton um and, and you know that, that everybody recognized across the country and, and then also some of the cool startups and edmonton is one of the ai centers in the world like a top five ai center in the world with the Amy Institute, uh, people can check out and everything else. So there's a ton of cool stuff happening in Edmonton. And and part of the uh, gut instinct that I have or my inclination is to use this national platform of, of the Seriously podcast with you, Supreme, to like talk about Edmonton and talk about all the great lounges and talk about all the great startups. But like, no, because first of all, uh, most cities of a million people have some pretty great hospitality venues and have really smart entrepreneurs and people that are driving the economy and the you know all the everything else you know the the, the employment rates and everything else and yeah uh, so okay there is that but at the same time I just have to admire and like you said it, brilliantly written everybody's talking about it I I would kill to see their web traffic over the last 24 hours. I mean, this is is a brilliant piece, hook, line, and sinker, uh, but I'm more than happy to play along because it does give us an opportunity to poke a little fun at other cities and also to, to celebrate the places that we call home. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> Keeping um, it classy? 
Yeah, keeping it classy. But, you know, for listeners out West who aren't aware, I mean, this is what Toronto Life does. They're just very good at the hate read. They have mastered the hate read. It's usually about some very rich family who is complaining that um, they're going to have to see poor people from time to time as they're doing the renovations and like buying out, you know, the house next door or something. Yeah. So they they do it well. And we, we all we all fall for it, to your point. Yeah, um, I, I pulled a couple of just a, some quick tweets from some people I follow that I thought was hilarious. Tim Karengesser is a, a great author and journalist. People should read his work. Uh, he says, next in Edmonton life. <laughs> I sold my house in Edmonton and moved to work in Toronto, but ended up having to live in Orangeville because what the fuck is up with the GTA <laughs> housing market? That was a pretty good one. Here was another one uh, from Andy at Atomicology. He says, the great Canadian meltdown is well underway and Toronto life is laughing all the way to the bank, poking fun at all of us that went hook, line, and sinker on this. I love this from from a, a longtime uh, major media illustrator, Chad Huckaluck, who's just announced a, a move in his media career. Big shout out to Chad. Uh, he's done this great illustration. Uh, two bros, arm in arm, interlocking hands, uh, coming together at the Edmonton Cactus Club, Supriya. And as you can see on the beefy biceps, uh, the two groups represented at Cactus Clubs in Edmonton and area, Oilers players and urban professionals from Ontario. So ultimately what we'll take from this hit piece in Toronto life at torontolife.com. Nice job guys. Nice nice job. uh, Is that if you move halfway across the country, if you move halfway across the country to a jurisdiction, you don't really know anything about, but shoot half an hour south of there to a relatively rural property and invest in uh, a home uh, where you don't clearly understand the housing market. You don't have a job. You don't have friends really relatively anywhere near to you to give you any sort of good advice. You may not, Sapria, enjoy the experience. Ryan, somehow it is already mid-friggin' December. I know. It feels like this year just flew by. Yeah, and there's only a few days left until the holiday break. And, uh, you know, 17-ish more days left in 2022. Have you started thinking about planning, you know, business priorities for the new year for you? That would sort of imply that I was organized. Well, you know, one great way to start the new year is looking at new business priorities to tackle in the coming months. And it's definitely true and a great opportunity as well to find new business partners and set new objectives for growth. You know, one fantastic partner for associations, regulators and nonprofits is We Know Training. We Know Training is your one-stop solution partner for providing impactful training that actually matters. We Know Training handles every aspect of your training program, from instructional design and course creation, to hosting and selling your courses online, to providing bilingual learner support as well. Yeah, they meet your organization where you're at, and then they can help you generate new revenue by creating amazing courses to sell through their powerful e-commerce engine and storefront builder. And at We Know Training, your experts meet their experts to turn your subject matter expertise into online courses that add real value for your members as well as for your organization. Yeah, they'll take the stress off your plate. How good does that sound? So you can get back to doing what your organization does best with some additional revenue coming in from the courses you sell. So work with a training partner that actually truly understands your needs, has solutions to your challenges, and delivers amazing results towards your business goals. Talk to We Know Training. You can visit their website, weknowtraining.ca, or of course, find them in the show notes. Also, there's this. If we don't see action on healthcare, uh, we absolutely preserve the right to withdraw our support. This is very serious. 
and we won't make that decision lightly, but this is uh, at the level of seriousness that we could make that serious consideration. We need to see action. And I wanna make it clear, uh, just because we haven't seen it, we're not gonna give up fighting. We're not gonna let the prime minister off the hook. We have a tool that we can use to apply more pressure and we're gonna use that tool. We're gonna apply pressure. We're gonna demand action. Uh, there may come a time though, it becomes clear to us that the prime minister and the liberal government aren't willing to do what's necessary for people. And we will make a very difficult decision at that point. So that was Mr. Jagmeet Singh, leader of the NDP, uh, threatening to pull the uh, confidence and supply agreement, the NDP support for the liberals. Um, should the liberals not take the issue seriously? Should the liberals not provide solutions? Should the liberals? It's actually quite unclear to me what he was asking um, of the government to do there. Uh, but uh, worth noting that it's not exactly every day that he comes out and threatens to yeah. pull this agreement. Right. So as a matter I, of fact, I don't know. He, he hasn't. He yeah. hasn't done it. And, and a lot of people have been wondering why he hasn't done it. So I think that he did it just to do it. Don't you? Oh, interesting. So you think it was like one of those, like he had a card to play and people are like, why don't you play the card? And he's like, fuck, here's the card. Yeah. You want to see the card? I'll show you the card. It's just like, he's like, this is a very serious thing that we're taking seriously. We'll take serious action. He doesn't (laughs) take it seriously. Check out seriouslypod.com. That's what I think it is. Yeah, because I mean, he gives no metrics there, right? He gives no actual benchmarks in terms of what he expects, just that they're not taking it seriously and they need to take it seriously. And uh, until Mm -hmm. then, he'll be very serious about healthcare. Like how badass would it be to say, like, you know, we want to see, you know, the the prime minister decriminalize all drugs by December 31st of 2023, or we're pulling our support on January 1. Like, then it's like, whoa. Yeah. Then it's a little more serious. This is like, uh, uh, it's like when your parents say to you, like, you got to take your schooling more seriously. And you're like, okay, so what I got to do is like optically come across like I'm kind of taking it a bit more seriously. But if your parents say you better have a 3.6 GPA by the end of next semester, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. I mean, if you have Indian parents, it's 3.6 is kind of low. But yeah, I was was always like, Um, if I got a a B plus, I was like, that's pretty good. (laughs) Pretty good, mom and dad. I didn't get a lot of B pluses. Oh, it is though that what were you gonna say? No, I was just gonna say I I I didn't get a lot of B pluses. I don't know why I used that. I I tried to tell my parents that C pluses were okay. Oh man, Ryan. I know. Yeah, I know. You're here now. We're both doing the same thing. I would have been. What the fuck did my straight A's get me? I would have been a terrible (laughs) doctor. (laughs) Yeah. So I. Okay. Okay. So back to the politics. Yeah. So back to the politics of this. Does it not like super annoying to because it is to me. So I'm going to ask you, but like, why do we talk about healthcare as though this is at the feet of the federal government and not the fucking provinces who actually have jurisdiction? Yes, there is an issue of funding. I'm not I'm no like sane person is going to deny that. N- neither is any is any real person yeah. who's like invested in this debate going to suggest that there isn't a dual responsibility and a, you know, a, an obligation for uh, working a- across partisan lines, working across, you know, provincial federal lines to ensure that Canadians get the healthcare that they need because we are not getting the healthcare that we need. And I think that is quite clear. And especially if you're talking about our kids right now, like they're really not fucking getting the healthcare that they need. And, you know, the implications and the repercussions for that are going to be felt f- for the next little while. And that's scary. And I try not to think about it. But like, yeah. why is the NDP leader out here being like, rah, rah? When it, like about the Fed, he doesn't when, want to like, be perceived as part of the problem. Yeah, like okay. if if yeah. you look at yeah. like honestly, can I say that? And and I'm not talking about like frontline healthcare workers here. 
but the majority of the national conversation on health care seems to be high profile people absolving themselves of any responsibility. The, the premiers come together to say it's the federal government's fault. The federal government wants to say that it's the province's issue. The official opposition and other opposition uh, parties, federally speaking, want to act like they're doing everything they can to fix health care, never to mention the administrators and the, the different uh, bodies and structures, corporate structures across the, the provinces and territories. I don't see a lot of people like if you're a member of the general public, what do you actually want to see happen when you find out that like kids are being uh, triaged and difficult decisions are being made and there's like trailers being set up to accommodate seven year olds that are dealing with influenza and everything else. I mean, like this is this is not hypothetical. This is not hyperbole. This is what's happening in the country right now. If you're one of those parents, what do you want to see? You want to see people working together to actually make something happen. And I think that that requires game plans. And I think that that requires cooperation. And, and I don't know if we ever actually see it besides people suggesting that we just need to throw more money at something. And I don't think that the average person, including healthcare workers, believe that just by throwing money at things that you're going to fix them. So that's what, that's that's right. And I agree with a lot of that. But the problem with framing this as feds say A, provinces say B, so they both need to come together. It's like you're absolving the provinces of their actual jurisdictional responsibility. Like this is laid out quite clearly in, you know, the division of powers in sections 91 and 92 of the Constitution. Like it's all there um, in terms of what goes where and healthcare goes to the provinces. And so the Ford government is 100 percent right that they did not create this mess. Right. Or any of the current premiers. Take your pick. Um, but the issue has been um, building for some time and no of no current government has been doing a good job uh, provincially to manage the, you know, onslaught of sick kids and, you know, other sick individuals in our society when a lot of this was quite foreseeable. I mean, how many times did I say during the Ontario election, we're not really talking about health care? Yeah. Um, and it's really weird that we're not talking about healthcare because one thing. we're, we're, we're going to go into a, a bad flu season and we're going to, you know, we're going to be hit. And so a, a regular flu season would hit Ontario and other provinces quite hard. Add on COVID, add on RSV, add on influenza A being particularly bad, add on burnt out healthcare workers, add on, you know, the fact that we have a system that has been going full tilt and more for like two, over Three two years, years, two and a half yeah. years now. And it's like this, this is where we're at. And we, we put our heads into the sand for too long, pretending like it wasn't going to be an issue. And now it is an issue. We knew it was going to be an issue even when Ford got his like increased majority for whatever reason in the lead up to the school year opening there was no push for flu vaccines here was it was there one in Alberta like no. there, yeah it, like right now you know I get that nobody really wants to wear masks and there's like a you know a substantive conversation to be had of like you know because it's kids and it's young kids like how much effect would it really have that's that's fine and that's for like epidemiologists and eggheads to sort out but like why aren't we at least you know, encouraging more mask wearing of like regular people of their own volition in like a grocery store, let's say, to just cut on transmission rates a little bit more generally. Like, I don't know. It's like we're just uh, and now like, you know, I've gone out about this a lot. So have you. But like this is it's a really shitty place to be. Yeah. And I'm I, and I'm I'm not I'm not going to bullshit and, and say that I'm wearing a mask everywhere either. Spree. like, you know, real talk on that is like um, I, I see that, you know, anecdotally, like at our little guy's hockey practice or yeah. when he goes to jujitsu or when I pick him up at school, there's like one kid in the classroom wearing a mask. Um, one of the teachers is wearing a mask when they let, at least from what I see from the, from the parking yeah, yeah. lot when the, you know um, like 
the odd parent in the stands. Like, you know, it, it's just but not. Don't like, you think that's because they don't like nobody's telling them nah, to wear one? But like, nobody's uh, encouraging them. I to mean, wear honestly, one? I think the truth is like if people felt really. I mean, first of all, if you're a parent that that has had a child uh, have a horrific experience uh, trying to navigate the healthcare system right now or you've had a health scare i mean my brother and sister had you know their daughter was taking an ambulance just the other night and and luckily she was able to get in and luckily she stabilized the whole family is relieved but she was very sick and and you know so i understand that this is like super hyper real life for a lot of people yeah. and and those people are quite rightfully demanding answers to the questions of what's going on, why is it here, and what's going to be done about it. And they're probably going to have strong feelings too about people wearing masks. Just put on a mask. And back in the day, like, you know, 18 months ago, I don't know about you, to speak for myself, I didn't need to have legislation to wear a mask. Uh, if I was in a restaurant or a grocery store, I wanted to, number one, because I wanted to kind of do my part or at least like maybe use, you know, some 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 influence or some sort of a, a, a public facing position to set a good example and also because like we you know in certain contexts the science supported it obviously i mean it makes more sense to wear a mask than not wear a mask some people might still argue that i don't have a lot of time for that the point being it was out of a position of conviction not a position of legislation and all i'm saying and i'm not trying to that. i'm not trying to like, okay but i'm not trying to halt in its efforts to, to close up my thought i think if people if more people actually felt as strongly as we think they feel they would be wearing masks regardless of yes. laws or not yes that's true but i think the part of the issue is that unless you're somebody who has dealt with the healthcare system directly right now or you are very plugged into the news cycle this is playing out in the background and it's noise and you're not hearing it and you're not and it's not it's not getting through to you um, if you have a public health campaign out there encouraging people to wear masks because the hospitals are fucking collapsing all around us yeah. and children are being like, you know, trucked uh, or flown rather like across, uh, you know, provincial and and, and borders um, to uh, receive health care and, and, you know, international borders. Like we had a, a kid go down to the States. Um, that's I don't know. Like, I just think you'd have more willing buy-in um but to the point of you, you know i don't disagree with you obviously that back then you wanted to wear one irrespective of whether there's going to be legislation or not but i mean that is a behavioral um like signal right is that if you do know that you have to do something then like you're gonna do it or you're way more likely to do it and i mean canadians were a bunch yeah. of fucking dorks well they'll do what our government tells us to do you yeah, know what i mean yeah 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 i agree uh there, there's there's some Ah, do I even want to open this can? Yeah, that's why people download seriously. I just open see it. like the mask use now also being used as like uh, almost kind of, uh, you know, people like it's a pejorative. Like, you know, people, I just see like the dicks on Twitter and, and all that kind of stuff going after people and they're making fun of like masks and pronouns. That's like what they're making fun of. And and I wonder if maybe there's I don't know do, are are people right now kind of not wanting to wear masks because they don't want to look paranoid or do you know what I mean like I I don't yeah. know there's, there's, I mean, there's I also some like it's... mental block that some we all own you do I know I do everybody else we know does we have like a collection of like some pretty ballin masks I got some pretty comfortable masks pretty nice fashionable masks everybody has them everybody still has masks they're just not wearing them seriously. Dick, what should I say? Don't say nothing. That is the sound of 18-ish thousand people 
booing the richest man. Oh, no, he's no longer the richest man on Earth. Um, one of. One of the richest men on Earth. Yeah, Elon Musk. Uh, and as it turns out, evidently, um, you know, the Internet or Twitter can, in fact, be very representative of real life because he gets you know booed essentially virtually all the time on there. And uh, that continues in uh, IRL. Yeah. For people that don't know, th- that was Elon Musk called on stage by Dave Chappelle. Uh, I've, I've seen him, by the way, introduced in some news reporting on this about the phenomenon of of Elon being blown back on his heels. I mean, the the, the, the hilarious the thing I love about this and it's cringe and I know we can talk about it. Him saying, Dave, what, what should I, I say? say? Dave, what should I say? What? Like into the mic, like, oh, sh- yeah. this didn't go the way that they expected it. Uh, but but also I, interesting in the reporting, seeing it described as Elon Musk, who joined transphobic comedian Dave Chappelle on stage. Which yeah, I throw anti-Semitic like, in there. Yeah, you could throw anti-Semitic. So it kind of added like another layer onto the, uh, and and then Chappelle kind of goes on his own, not a rant, but a couple snaps back at the audience that was paying to be there to see him. Like, yeah, it's very know. bizarre. I mean, he also like at one point basically said that all of the people booing were poor because yeah, in the like, cheap the, seats. Yeah, they're in the cheap seats. Yeah, um, but to your point about like. You know, um, transphobic comedian Dave Chappelle. Uh, it's worth noting that Elon himself has just gone full capital T troll, right? I don't know if you saw this tweet earlier, but he put out, uh, My pronouns are prosecute Fauci. Um, he essentially uh, has endorsed or seemingly signaled to QAnoners by tweeting out a follow and then a ra- white rabbit emoji. And he's also gone after his former head of trust and safety um, and by suggesting he is sympathetic to pedophilia. And that former Twitter executive has now had to flee his home because of increasing threats. And it's just like, I get that regular people don't care about Twitter, but we should probably care about this a very thin-skinned, red-pilled uh, billionaire who is taking a major source of information in, in you know our digital age and torching it to the ground. Yeah, um, yeah. huge influence. Uh, he, he's and, he, and he's more than just the guy that owns Twitter. Right. I mean, like you look at the four companies, right? Like all these big companies and Starlink and Tesla and like all of these. SpaceX. To be honest with you, I uh, so just last night I'm running some errands. And, and I pull up, like, I just, I, I got, you know, one of those parking spots, it's just so perfect, Supreme, you just cruise right in, you don't have to parallel park yeah. or anything, and I cruised right in, but I was real careful, because I was pulling in behind one of those Tesla Model Xs, you know, the ones with the gold wing yeah. doors, they're like 250 grand if you get the real sexy ones, um, and I just, I don't know, my gut, it, right when I pulled in behind it, I just went, ooh, like, I just think, if you were someone who's, like, super big on, on EVs and technology, and I get it, and, like, you're super, you love innovation, and you love to have the coolest thing and performance and gullwing doors and sexiness and like you just dropped a quarter million bucks on a Tesla and now the guy who is synonymous with that brand (laughs) is acting like such an asshole that it makes you look like a bit of an asshole for driving one of his cars. I don't want to be there. Yeah, I mean, that's true. But it's also interesting that you mentioned, you know, the being associated with an asshole. I mean, it's also being associated with a car that's now like plummeting in value, is it not? Like uh, just in terms of like the the cachet of, of it. 
Um, at what point? To your point. Does, yeah. At what point does the board have to get rid of him based on fiduciary responsibility? I mean, that's a serious question. But we'll keep asking these tough <laughs> questions every week on Seriously, and we appreciate you subscribing and telling your friends about it. You can connect with us, of course, on Instagram at Seriously Pod. Find us on Twitter at Sapria and Ryan, and make sure when you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube uh, that you also rate and review. Seriously, Sapria means a lot to us. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you next week, buddy. You got it. I'll see you next Wednesday. Seriously is hosted by Supriya Dwavedi and Ryan Jesperson. Technical producer, John Hicks. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Account coordinator, Lawrence Turlego. General manager, Katie Cook-Shivers. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Voiceover by me, Tanji. Seriously is a relay project. For more, check out seriouslypod.com.